Ready, Dave? Everybody, this is Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. This is uh, part two of the of continuing the previous episode. We're going to talk about side two of the first They Might Be Giants album, which is titled They Might Be Giants. I'm Dave Fox. This is <laughs> I should have introduced you. This is Dave Fox, my trusty, trustworthy, trustful friend. Friend. Um, so yeah, we, I was surprised how much we had to say last time. I didn't think it would be a two-parter. I wasn't surprised by how much you had to say. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think that was in the cards, but I, I'm, I don't know if every time we talk about an album, it'll be a two-parter. Some of them are really long <laughs> albums. Um, some of them are, have like multiple discs. Depends um, how dense the songs are. Yeah. And how dense I'm feeling that day. So we're going to just jump right in. I don't think there's any retractions. Uh, we haven't put out, they have, we haven't had feedback yet. Uh, there's a few iTunes reviews. Dave, I wanted to read you an iTunes review. Lay it on me. From working hard to be this poor. Uh, I, yes. relate, I relate to that. <laughs> don't <laughs> after, we all. after editing the last episode. Dave and Jordan, that's, that's you and that's me. I don't know yeah. why they put your name first, but whatever. They put me first. I guess because it says Dave and Jordan on the... Uh, Alphabetical, anyway. baby. <laughs> Dave and Jordan know their stuff. And I really love the first episode. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. You. Jordan knows his stuff slightly more than me. Well, more than slightly. Yeah. But I know some stuff. I also know so the, thank you. I also know the stuff, the horror movie. We watched that once. That is great. <laughs> Good movie. I enjoyed it. Good podcast. And there's one There's one more review. It says, so glad there's a podcast about TMBG. This is truly a golden age. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> we'll try to keep meeting and exceeding your expectations. And there's, there's one more, and it says, I wish Jordan would talk less. Does it really say that? I made that up. But oh. it's kind of how I feel. I can't see the computer from here. When I'm, when I'm editing these episodes, I go, wow, I'm a chatterbox. Um, <laughs> I think it's great. I think you have a lot on your mind about the band. That's true. So we're get, we're going to get into the the first side two of the first album, and it starts with she was. Oh, this is in parentheses. She was a end parentheses hotel detective. Okay, so... So, Jordan, let me, <laughs> let me take the reins a little bit. Please do. What do you think of this one? I know you have notes. I know you have a lot to say. So, yeah, um, this, this song goes with what I was saying before about Flansburg's genre pastiches or explorations or... Uh, um, this, this one's... <laughs> I kind of think it's funny this was a single. Well, I was going to say, this is also in keeping with uh, the group of singles or uh hit songs this is part of the the next four. Oh, so you think it starts here so last no no it starts with nothing's gonna change my clothes oh okay so for people who are listening out of order and if you're they might Why be giants you? fan you might be one of the crazy kind of people who put it do that uh anyway you couldn't possibly listen to the second part of an album review first 
I think some people, sometimes I wonder if people just click on stuff and don't really care as much as I do about uh, things like that. But um, Although so, if they're listening to it chronologically, yeah, they would listen to this first. So I retract that. Chronologically? What do you mean? Chronologically backwards. <laughs> the opposite of chronologically. <laughs> Maybe I don't know what chronological means. Meaning so, if they listen to it when they first see what it is. Um, so, so this one, this was a single and Dave had a... Uh, theory in the last episode that this album is in groups of four groups of four songs that could be uh passable as they might be giant singles and then four songs that could never <laughs> right that would would not be accepted by the the public at large although after this group of four hit singles it's a slightly longer stretch of weirder okay. stuff depending so, on how much you think so dave's theory falls apart almost immediately <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, this was a single, uh, it's, it's not like it's, it's not catchy as much in the melodic sense of their other, I, I feel like they're, I feel like the main, for me, the main strength musically of the Young Giants is the melodies. This song, Flansburg is just kind of belting it out there. It's not as much of a, how did someone make that melody? You know, like I think with Linnell songs, especially, but even, yeah, all, pretty much all the Flansburg songs. Though the horn section is very melodic well, and this sort is, of the driving force. This is the first appearance on an album of that baritone sax, which for me defines their sound in a, in a special way. When they make newer songs and that baritone sax comes in, I get like very nostalgic. Right. You know, and like I mentioned this last time, and may, I'll try not to bring it up too much, but like the Weird Al parody of them has like the baritone sax in it. To me, it, it it's kind of a funny sound, in the at least in the way they use it, almost is like sarcastic <laughs> sounding. <laughs> sarcastic horn. Well, it's, yeah, it's almost like too exuberant for the, the subject matter in a way. Like whereas accordion, I, I find accordion is often kind of has a soothing uh, quality to it and a kind of a almost gives the songs their like a sweetness. The baritone sax is almost kind of what the, it's almost like the Flansburg kind of grotesque laughing, like, ha, ha, ha. It's very, uh, it's a very brash instrument. Brash. They should call them a brash instrument. Well, you got to go to my <laughs> In- podcast that <laughs> yeah. I do. Uh, yeah. Renaming instruments for what they really are. By only changing one letter. Yeah. So like, I guess a wind instrument, you could be like, this is like a, a wand because you're holding a little, <laughs> yeah. This is this is an interesting idea. This is probably how they get their ideas um, on the on the tour bus or whatever. So yeah, th- this song it, it's. Do you like this song? I like the song. It's it's not. I'm gonna say this. We're kind of going into a lot, some of these albums. We're not exactly criticizing because I think me and Dave both like unabashedly love every song, <laughs> especially the early ones. We said this in the intro episode. Almost, yeah, like ninety nine. Just about, yeah. I'm gonna. Um, I, I'll try to. I'll try to be a little more nuanced and ra- well rounded in my opinions and say this is not a favorite on the first album for me, um, but I right. certainly enjoy it. It's. I guess there's a slight difference between the first album songs that. I really invaded my brain and I got obsessed with. And then the ones maybe like this one where I'm just like, Oh, I like that. (laughs) But I I didn't like, you know, examine it to such a strict degree and then sing it to people and write the lyrics in my notebook. It's at junior high. I will say on this one, uh, this is a track that works a lot better live for whatever reason. The few times you've heard this one live, I've liked it a lot more. Very few times. I can't even, I can maybe maybe just the first album live show. But I was actually surprised at how 
much I liked it. Yeah, I love um, I love how cinematic it is. It definitely has like the film noir feel. Um, it almost sounds made up. A hotel detective. Uh, it's not, I guess, because I can I, yeah. I can imagine the context. I'm currently watching Elementary on CBS, and Ooh. sometimes he'll investigate something in a hotel. And I'll think about the song. Um, I love Flansburg's vocal performance. This is kind of another one where he's really. They're really hyped up on coffee, I think, more than more than maybe they they get l- later on in recording their albums. She said she owns the place. Get this album is is super uh it's super excited, it's super happy and and Flansburg's especially his the big laugh he does it, yeah. at multiple points in the song. Um that's actually one of the fun things about seeing the song live is I'm like, he's got to do the, <laughs> I'm just kind of waiting for him to, to do the big hearty laugh. Well, I think it's always interesting whenever, um, you know, musicians are around for a while and they have to, if they ever, t- you know, play their older songs and, uh, you know, a lot of times musicians' voices change, um, the style of singing changes and it's like, how do they... Their political views. <laughs> how do they go back... Um, to how they used to sing. I mean, the number one thing is the voices get deeper as they get as they get older. And, Except in my know. case, <laughs> or Gordon Gano's case. That's yeah. I mean, um, birds of a feather. Uh, Gordon Gano's voice has stayed the same his entire. Yeah, Gordon Gano. We should for people who don't know the Violent Femmes lead singer. You might know like Blister in the Sun, and I, I've always told people when you know when I'm trying to get my music out there. I sound kind of like Gorn Kano, but in the sense that both of us have a voice that sounds like we're in high school and it will be like that forever. I can see that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Flansburg's singing style has changed a lot. It's evolved and in, in some ways it's, it's gone to more interesting places and in some ways, maybe, maybe less in a way because I, I don't feel like they, he gives it that an insane character quality as he used to do. But this, yeah, this song, it's more exciting for the performance than for the actual songwriting, though I do love the lyrics, but I mean the actual song composition, that's what I would say. There is one thing on the Wikipedia here. I know anyone could just go to Wikipedia, but I I, I thought I would read this to Dave because I don't know if he's familiar with this. John Linnell says that the record company chipped in for John's hospital bills after he injured himself recording the guitar solo. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. How do you injure yourself? I think that's a big bend. He's doing a bend, and maybe like it, you know, his nail got. Cut. I've hurt. <laughs> I've hurt myself playing guitar, but I'm you know a fragile little little guy. You are. So the lyrics, Dave. What what do you make of the story in this song? The only thing about the lyrics that I, I don't want to say is a criticism, because anytime I have a, a complaint about a song, I'm usually proven wrong by you. But do you, do you not think that the dumb waiter is a monkey? <laughs> um, some of the lyrical rhymes are sort of surprisingly simple for their kind of songwriting. And it kind of throws me off. And, but see, this is the thing he's, he's doing it on purpose because then he makes a joke. He makes a rhyme joke at the end of the song. He keeps rhyming things with me swing with me from the top of a tree that's where I want you to know you. 
See, you would think he would say, that's where I want you to know me, because it's a song about him wanting to be noticed by this hotel detective. But the, the joke is the, the simple rhymes lead to a twist that you, don't, that you don't see coming. Like the sixth sense. And then he laughs because he made a joke. <laughs> hmm. See, that's, see you're, he's, he's bringing you in with the simple rhymes and he he's, thinks, you know. Like the sixth sense. And part of the thing is, that's not what he says, and it makes you think about both versions. And it's it's a it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting uh, soup of <laughs> um, things that your brain does when you hear that last verse. I love the I think I love those lyrics. See, I knew Jordan would prove me wrong. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, look, face funky monkey. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the word funky in songs. Oh, really? Do you think he means funky like uh, the the music or like the smell? The smell. It's actually yeah. saying that now. Again, I, what I like about this podcast <laughs> is I actually think of things I've never thought of before um, because it's really forcing me to think about all the songs, which I haven't in a while because I did for like 10 years and then yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> I chilled a out break. a bit. Um, but yeah, maybe he does mean that the bellhop is funky, is smelling. I think that'd be funny. One thing I like about, uh, what do you think of Make Me Feel Like a Bee? What's well, what my point was, I don't, I really am confused by what that means. So I think there's two jokes there. I mean, is it like when a bee stings you and it, you know, the, the, they can only sting once and then they die? That could, that could be informing it. I think one is the joke that he's doing simple rhymes. Yeah. Because definitely I actually think, joke. yeah, I mean, you're, you're what could be called a criticism, I think is more like leaning and like playing into their hands in a way. Cause I think that's kind of what they're trying to do. Damn. The other idea is that it's like, they're really good lyricists right. who have complex meanings. I, the B thing, I saw this once on the old. So I used to frequent alt.music.tmbg uh, back in the late nineties, mid nineties and late nineties. It was really the only place on the internet where. And I didn't have a computer in yeah. the late nineties. <laughs> yeah. It was like one of the only places besides the mailing list, which was pretty fun, where people could really post publicly about their thoughts about They Might Be Giants and get into almost real time arguing and debating. And uh, there are a lot of interpretations of this song that went up. Um, One of them mentions the make me feel like a bee thing has to do with the queen bee and the worker bee relationship and how you're Ah. subservient to this, this queen. And the song, the Hotel Detective, even the whole series really is kind of worshiping and and being scared of this like feminine presence this like looming you know it's like this song he's kind of amazed by this woman and scared of her but also admires her and maybe just like me and my wife (laughs) you know he's in love with her he's he's trying you know so there's a lot going on here i think it's like a complex feeling and the, the b thing ties to that the other thing that i love is swing with me from the top of a tree is another joke in that last verse. So part of the joke again is the rhyme thing that sounds uh, nursery rhyme like, but the other thing is come and swing with me is you say about dancing, like swing dancing, come on and swing with me. Yeah. Then he twists it <laughs> from the top of a tree means you're hanging from a noose. Right. And this is not the first time that they're going to do that kind of joke. Uh, they have another song swing is a word six feet down. And I, this is an example of I just like love their approach to, to lyrics. I love the dark humor, if it can be called humor. I mean, it is humor. We talked about this last time. It's kind of hard to pinpoint the, I don't mean laugh out loud humor, but it's a, you know, 
And they're going to mention a rope in another song a few songs down. Yeah, that's right. So there's there's a few instances of of hanging. And and again, it's it's one of those things and what I'm hoping with this podcast is that some maybe new fans of theirs who haven't thought about the lyrics obsessively would actually be like, "Oh, I didn't know that." Or I didn't think of it that way. Because I know for me, I didn't think of Swing with Me from the Top of a Tree as a hanging reference uh for maybe a little a little while into being a fan and, you know, reassessing the lyrics. So yeah, we talked a lot about that song. <laughs> Let's let us move on to the next track, track 11. Now, this isn't really a, a song that the fans seem to like very much. It's called <laughs> She's She's an Angel. I met someone at the dog show. She was holding my left arm. But everyone was acting normal, so I tried to look nonchalant. We both said I really love you. Another single. Yeah, She's an Angel. Um, I was kidding, of course, the the fans, this is a fan favorite. It's super interesting to me because it's the first song on the album that almost has um, an emotional quality to yeah, the music, exactly. which I think is a funny thing to say because a lot of pop albums, every song has an emotional quality. Um, but I think they might be giants. The emotions are kind of, are more complex than can be displayed musically so yeah you're not getting this is a sad song this is a funny song you're getting a a mix of things you know there's a lot of ways to read the the songs so you think that that's sort of a defense mechanism also where it's easier to write um a song about your actual emotions or something that you've been feeling for a while if you kind of throw all this other stuff on top of it to kind of make people lose the trail a little bit when you when you learn to play guitar or keyboard you know it's you really quickly learn the chords that sound good together yeah right and not just good but that sound like moving that have a feeling and i know so here's a memory from our friendship when i was really young i think maybe this is like this might be 99 right or 2000 i was working on a new song that i called alienated it was a very angsty high school song and it was uh i was learning to play piano and i i thought of this piano riff that and um it was super emotional and it was about alienated feeling lonely and no one understands me and very bad lyrics and i remember i played you a clip of it and you (laughs) oh boy <laughs> what did what did 1999 Dave do? You said sounds kind of trite. Now that emotionally oh. scarred me. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but I think it's good I, because one. I use the word trite specifically. You said trite. I don't, I don't, I don't like that word. That, that's words. It's tattooed on my brain. As I believe say. you. I just probably don't use that word anymore. So to me, I, I wonder if John and John had a similar, I mean, after you said that to me and I reassessed, I, I, I realized that I really don't want to write songs that sound trite. I don't want to write songs sure. that are, you can only really see in one way um, musically. And I think John and John have the same, I don't know if it's natural to them. Like maybe they have early work that was like cheesy. Like, I, you know, the, the first Tenacious D song is this sad love song. You know, that's not funny at all. They they played it once at a concert and there's a bootleg as like a, they played it to be funny and show how lame the song is. And it's not bad actually, but 
it's easy to make fun of. And I think they might be giants and, and people, people like us are, uh, we're very sensitive about being made fun of for our emotions. Well, it's really hard to put yourself out there. I mean, just in any general sense, uh, as a musician or a creative, um, there's always that fear that you're going to open yourself up and be rejected. Yeah, and look, a lot of my personal favorite songs, at least of, of mine or even other artists, is, are ones that move me emotionally. And some of them some of them are like that and they just work, you know, and some of them, some like They Might Be Giant songs are a little more ambiguous, but what's what's rewarding is when you kind of dig, get, a, get your shovel and dig the emotion out of it, which is, I think, what you have to do. This song, though, She's an Angel, to bring it back, this sounds sweet and sensitive and like a love song. Why, why did they send Should I react? These things happen to other people. They don't happen at all. But then what happens is you read the lyrics and you wonder, is this, what is this? Is this a love song? I, I don't know if they have that many real love songs, if any. I mean, I think there's always a twist. I think there's always kind of a, a dark thing lurking, lurking there, or maybe not dark, maybe sad. Um, but again, I think that just to, uh, disagree slightly with you, <laughs> podcast I canceled, I, I think it is there. And I do think they have the emotion songs. I think they hide them a little bit. Maybe, maybe something sad or maybe something hard to describe. Just like, I, again, I, I use the term dream logic, you know, something that's just not, it's just not giving you an easy access into the story of the song. Or sometimes Linnell claims that what you're reading is just the story and just accept it, you know, accept it for what it is. Sometimes when he says that, I don't know if it's because he's sick of being asked about what these things are or it's because he just really doesn't have a self-awareness about how strange or different I'll say different or unique his lyrics are because when you when you start a song saying you met someone at the dog show and the Shriners loaned us cars and we raced up and down maybe to him that's super (laughs) normal yeah there are a couple strange references I mean throughout to to me I, I think he um I think he knows that those are not normal lyrics because I think they're, I think they are something that always sticks out to me in their really early bootlegs from like 87. They keep going, did you hear the words (laughs) to their audience? I think they're super proud of their lyrics, but now they don't like saying stuff like that. Um, Now when they say they're proud of something, it's usually like a production thing, like this beat we we got. Um, But I think back in the day, they were really trying to turn heads with, with the lyrics, especially in a live setting and especially with a song that sounds uh, moving and sentimental and emotional like this yeah i just think this song has always struck me as just a super romantic song um you know maybe a fault of mine not examining the lyrics that closely (laughs) to contradict that but to me the overall feeling of the song is just one um i don't know of just really being in a a time and place with a person so this is a a good uh concert memory kind of thing but when when I would see them live and I was single Ugh. and they would play, yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, they would play this. That's probably soul crushing. Yeah. They would play this song and despite whatever the lyrics, true intent, just the sound of it for it being the one or two emotional sounding songs in a yeah. live set. And I'm sure all the couples coupled up. At the that couples always started to sway. They couple up at that part and they sway. And, Those swaying couples. And I would be standing there. This is when I was maybe 17, 18 and, and a few times in my twenties. Um, I'd be standing there and I'd, 
well up a little and I'd feel very lonely and sad. And I would say, if only I could meet a girl at one of these shows, which I did, but that was an old ex-girlfriend. We don't talk about her, but um, go on. Yeah. Let me go into excruciating detail. There's, there's that, there's our friend, the motorcycle man. If you want to, uh, what do you think of this song? Motorcycle asshole. Yeah, I love their <laughs> Me and my hog, we <laughs> we like to hog it up. We hog it up till they might be giants. We hog it airtime. <laughs> so anyway, um, so, you know, I I wonder if the song, if he literally, I think the joke might be that it's literally an angel. I think the joke is that he's dead and that he's in the, you know, he's in the afterlife. He, I think the space program where there's no air is is heaven or the or just the unknowable after death. That still doesn't negate it being romantic. No, no. So that's what I was saying about the, the little circle you go in as a fan where you go, whoa, it's dark. And then you go, no, the darkness is the, the, the sweet stuff in a way to them. So it is a romantic song because it is, I think it is about kind of putting the all of yourself into someone else and until you're, you're not even alive anymore. <laughs> you're kind of giving yourself to it. And it also has the birdhouse in your soul thing of that kind of shaky devotion kind of thing where you're, we don't want to talk about birdhouse too much, but it's a song about being, both songs maybe are about just being so enamored that you you feel insecure about it, which I relate to. Wow, yeah, that's that's a big one. That's that strikes a chord. Yeah, if you ever have ever been so into a person, even in a healthy relationship, there's always I don't know, there's always that other side of you that can creep in. That's either informed by your past and how you would feel in your past when you weren't with someone or your future where you, you know, the unknowable and the uncertain part of it. Um, you know, like that uh <laughs> That Nirvana lyric, I love you so much, it makes me sick. Yeah, there you go. Um, so yeah, I think I feel like, yeah, but I think before we start crying, we should move on to the next song. Um, the next song is... before you start crying. Okay, guilty. The next song is... The uh, last of the singles. Track 12. Okay, oh, I see what you're saying. So one, two, three. Oh, but so you're, this isn't in the... Oh, nothing's gonna change my clothes. Hold yep. detective. She's an angel. Youth culture killed my dog. These yeah. are all potential singles. Absolutely, got it. Youth culture killed my dog. I think is another big one. This is a big one. Um, this one I was a little worried about talking about because sometimes I don't quite understand Flansburg's. I think I understand the intentions here, um, but I I'm also afraid to presume it. Do you? What are your thoughts on this? It seems like you have something to say. I, this is just again one of those puzzle songs to me. Uh, this is just a huge puzzle to unlock. There's, this song is very dense with references. To I mean, the whole song itself is about pop culture. I would say. I don't know if you agree. I, I think to me, this is a, a song sort of similar to the final track on the album that's examining yeah. his own, the band's own place in yeah. in music and pop culture. And, and there's a little bit of venom and there's a little bit of uh, maybe even self-deprecation like in the, the last one. And I think this one is, is kind of a really, it's almost funny. Flansburg and Linnell both wrote songs sort of about that same thing. To me, it's, 
you know, I, <laughs> youth culture to me is, I mean, when I like late, so we're like getting old. We're like in our mid thirties. I'm 18. Uh, and I'll, t- I don't say the words youth culture, but I kind of know that feeling of, well, that's not my culture anymore. Cause I'm not a youth. Well, it's funny that I, I mean, I felt old since I was, I don't know. 16. So like, I, I mean, I've always felt like, yeah, I completely, uh, feel that I felt everyone younger than me. I didn't relate to, you shouldn't feel people younger than you. You can get in trouble for that. Yeah, true. I've always felt a little bit separate from what was going on, but especially as I got older, but even at a young age, if anyone was just a couple years younger than me, it was like, yeah, I mean, a big difference. I remember in high school or, or it might've been junior high when like the Spice Girls got popular. And I remember being like, oh, stupid Spice Girls, stupid kids my, <laughs> that my age that like this stupid crap. Now I actually <laughs> miss how <laughs> tuneful those yeah. singles were. Cause now how innocent. Yeah. I mean, now it's like, oh, that's like actually a well-written song if you listen to it. But, um, I mean, you'll have to listen to our other podcast for that, uh, spicing it up. <laughs> so... <laughs> I always thought the dog was like a symbol or a metaphor, but then he literally says on the Wikipedia has a quote from him from a 1992 French interview. I'll read some of it now. It was actually, did you know this, Dave? I mean, look, I've read the Wikipedia. I probably have not retained the Wikipedia. It's actually a true story. For some years, I had a dog called Iggy. One day while I was shopping at the local supermarket with Iggy, I want a beer dog comes out of the store's loudspeaker and Iggy already jumped on a panicked housewife. After that, I had to put him down. Damn, Flansburg. That's so sad. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. So that is, so they're going to bring everyone down right now. Their songs, sometimes they sound like they're metaphors, but they're just, they're literally telling you a thing that happened. (laughs) and you just you don't know because you weren't there but it just becomes interesting lyrics that you don't know what they're about so it's it's actually shocking to me when they do open up like that about something that inspired a song because they don't usually do that it's like if you know they're talking about the statue got me high and linnell was like oh one time i had to climb a statue to get (laughs) it's like it's weird for them to, to lay it out like that but let's let's talk about it musically a little one thing they talk about uh, is that they ran out of tracks for this or that they were, there was a crazy electric guitar that they cut out. So the whole song's just, it's really stripped down. It's just acoustic and drums and bass and obviously vocals and then like a weird noise, a weird little... But the nightlights and my dog's on exactly one and the same. It's an interesting song musically to me. What, Dave, what do you think? What do you get out of the song on a musical level? I think the uh, demo for it was really interesting. I love all the demos for it more than the album version. Yeah, the demo kind of uh, had a little bit more passing tones and a little bit more musicality to it. It what, wasn't. What's a passing tone? I don't even know what that means. Um, oh shit! You called me out. <laughs> Um, it had like more, like it had a descending scale thing in the beginning. The passing tone is like a note in between two notes of a major scale. I think we could look that up. Me and you, sometimes we're kind of like passing tones. Yeah. 
Do you think it's a Michael Jackson thing when he goes, hee, hee? I, yeah, absolutely. Okay. 100%. I, okay. I used to think that, and I still do, but I was just <laughs> wondering if I was wrong. <laughs> and if other people I don't see thought, how it couldn't be. Because that was what was huge at the time. But it also... I there mean, was a man named in, Michael Jackson. Yeah, she's... Um, and he was really popular. He and, was the man in the mirror. <laughs> that's right. Um, creepy, like Candyman. Yeah. Uh, or Bloody Mary. I th- Well, it totally goes along with the concept of youth culture and popularity and musically and wanting backrick and david to be the you know they're the old-fashioned right like now michael jackson would would be the (laughs) or the spice girls would be in that role or any of our references or any bands we actually like (laughs) because i can't think of many new bands that we like or any or well there aren't bands that's because there are no bands anymore don't exist anymore yeah it's all producer made music yeah why would you need a band what could possibly be good about that um, yeah, I, I always love, I love Linnell's harmony. I think we should talk about that for a second. This well, this, cause this might really be the first song that really has that, the two of them like that, you know, really singing separate, like very identifiable separate harmonies together. And Linnell really kind of making his presence known vocally and in, in the song. I always thought that was a highlight of it. Um, there's even more in the demos and other versions, you know, I think they really did have to cut out a lot when they were making this album. And I, also, I would say this this actually kind of contradicts what I said about Flansburg. I, I can't really say what genre of pastiche this would be. Um, this feels more like a, you know, just a Flansburg song um, without trying to be something. There might be a vague reference that I don't know, maybe something that was in his head. But this this seems kind of like Puppet Head, where like this this seems like it's Flansburg's genuine singing voice. He's not doing a grotesque weirdo. Yeah. And uh, well, besides all the um, little affectations, uh, yeah, for the references. That's what you know. Hotel detective, youth culture. He's he's very exuberant on this album and doing all these like fun yells and laughs. And I love that. I, I truly love that. This, this album is very special because of that. Uh, when we saw them live recently and he played Authenticity Trip, that kind of reminded me of that exuberance. Yeah. Um, when he puts down his guitar and is really just focusing on the vocal performance and he's sort of going all over the stage. And that's a little bit of a character song. Yeah. I love how much Flansburg loves Authenticity Trip because they play it live a lot. They're, you know, it's on the new live album that they're, you know, yeah. was released to fans. Um, that's a personal favorite of mine. Um, and I, I think he he kind of has the same reaction I did, which is, oh, that should have been on a proper album, really, instead of a compilation. That's a a track one. Yeah, it it is. For sure. Um, So let's move on to uh, another hit single. (laughs) (laughs) The the next song, Boat of Car. Daddy sing bass. Daddy sing bass. So we have, now we're entering another set of strange songs yeah and the one thing i wanted to play for you dave this reference i might actually know so this song uses a sample from johnny cash i remember when i was a lad times were hard and things were bad but there's a silver lining behind every cloud just poor people that's all we were trying to make a living out of blacklander We'd get together in a family circle singing loud. Daddy sang bass. Mama sang tenor. So I don't like little brother. <laughs> he weirds me out. The Johnny Cash song Daddy sang bass. That's actually the name of the song. I didn't even know that. Do you, do you want to hear my Johnny Cash? Yeah. Daddy sang bass. 
That's pretty good. I'll have to crank up the bass for that part on your uh, EQ. Um, written by Carl Perkins. Yeah, uh, so that, that uses a sample. Here's the thing about this song. Who wrote it? Who wrote? Boat of Car. Oh, I thought you, I thought you no, because you just written read, by Carl Perkins. Yeah, just, Dave, quiz. <laughs> I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. Oh, I kind of wasn't. <laughs> Who wrote Boat of Car? Now, Flanzo. I, I assume Flansburg, but Linnell sings it live. Really? Or him and Flansburg have taken turns singing it live over the years. I took my boat for a car. I took that car for a so listeners, once again, we're going to say that our email is don't let start podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, please, please write us, please, <laughs> please, <laughs> please, 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 please write us. And if you know who wrote boat of car, also uh, we could very easily Google it. We could very easily Google it, but so, you know what, we want to hear from you. Let's not ask them then. No, no. I want to know if you know, then tell me, um, boat of car. Uh, I'll let you go first, Dave. What do you think of Boat of Car? Well, again, this is another song we had a conversation about, how it's about death. <laughs> mm-hmm. And starting to see a pattern on this album. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this is an example of one of those songs, for me, trying to get into the band early on, that made it a little uh, inaccessible. It's a very strange song. Musically, lyrically, you know, everything uh, that's connected to it. It has a different vocalist. To me, this is one of those little flansies that I talked about in side one. Uh, it's even though it might not be a Flansburg song, but I always yeah. as thought it was. Maybe it's not because it really does seem to have a lot of songs in a row here. But uh, this is a, str- a strange little song, but I, I I love it. And something that really hit me after a few listens over over years was like how can I guess? Can I guess what hit you? Okay, I might be totally wrong, but. Um how atonal it starts and then in the last oh sentence God. it got, gets really pretty and bright the, that's and, exactly what i was oh really that's what i was gonna say and i didn't notice until i saw live yeah. and when i saw it live and i was like oh it actually has a s- sweeping like a you know this amazingly beautiful finale Yeah, but on the the album, it sounds the sounds they use and the 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 voc the double vocal the, the very robotic sounding woman. Um, I guess we should say who that is. Yeah, who is the woman? It's Margaret Sailor. C S E I L E R. So I don't know how to pronounce her name. Sealer or Sailor? Sealer. So it, yeah, it's it's the song on their album that does not feature their vocals. But yeah, I love how it. It's weird how someone on a first listen can say this is a weird disposable song or whatever but to me it's one of their best and it's almost one of their best i guess if you could call the ending the chorus where it says the words boat of car over and over it's very beautiful <laughs> it's, it's it's touching and it's scary we should talk about how scary the song is it scares me liking that tea huh good tea I'm drinking uh, coffee for the listeners yeah. who are curious. Jordan's drinking tea. I'm drinking tea. And I think it's uh, it's an interesting choice for Jordan. Oh, yeah. I never drink tea. Uh, we said at the beginning in honor of the Johns that we should always have just big cups of coffee before we, we that, start. I envisioned this, this podcast as us sitting with coffee and talking about They Might Be Giants. But what I found was coffee dries out my mouth and... Uh, 
it's also phlegmy and it's all stuff you don't need to know about. It uh, is all those things, but I'm far too addicted to stop. Yeah, but I am drinking tea with caffeine and it's making me feel very good. Um, so yeah, the best line for me in this song is one of the only lines, but traces of your fingernails that run along the windshield. Fucking horrifying, man. <laughs> so, Again, like fucking Lynchian. Yeah, it's... I mean, literally Lynchian. There's fingernail stuff in Twin Peaks. Yeah, that's true. Um, the idea that someone is... is I, I guess I don't want to spell things out too much. I'll, I'll try to say this in a more ambiguous way. The idea that someone is clawing at a car windshield, the imagery of a boat, and I'll, I'll let you put the pieces together, people, but this is like this is another song that is very upsetting. It's, it's, that's a good word for it. It's very scary. Uh, on the surface, it sounds like a funny song. But Though it's still the second most upsetting song on the album. Yeah. <laughs> that's where we will get there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as for the Johnny Cash reference, I, I don't have a theory as to, I don't know if there's a thematic reason why. Um, it definitely makes the song all the more uh, amusing sounding to a, a non-fan, I would say. Or even maybe to the fans. But other Dave, do you have a theory about why that song? It's a song about the the family playing a <laughs> being a band and playing a song together. I mean, unless it's a whole family that drowned in the car. I think that's it. I think we can move on from. <laughs> I think we figured it out. But I also think again, just talking about musically. Well, I don't. I can't get too technical about music because I don't really know. Even though I've played music for twenty years, I don't know a lot of the technicalities about it. I just kind of do what I do. But um, I think musically, it. It's another way to throw the listener off is to put mm. a sample. The sample is used in a way that is um, it's, jarring. It's jarring and yeah. it's uh, it's funny and it's it, it you know definitely transforms the original context. <laughs> I know that I'll never be able to hear that song on its own. Yeah. <laughs> it's it gives me chills now. I will say though, maybe it was uh, a hard song to get into at first. Uh, I did grow to love it and a lot of other they might be giant songs because of. The fact that it made me uncomfortable or unsettled. I think if you can love this song, then you're you're pretty wide open to <laughs> accept a lot of other songs of theirs and be a fan. I mean, I kind of like it. Litmus to, test. To the same way that I like horror movies or, you know, the horror genre in general. It's like, it's almost like something if you get through it, you grow to love it. Yeah. And it's almost like conquering something. Oh, wow. So then. <laughs> but that's another. <laughs> I don't even have anything to say that. The, the, Whole other topic. the next song is absolutely Bill's mood, <laughs> and uh, we're going to play the intro here, and then, Dave, I'm going to play you something else. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. So that guitar in the beginning is Eugene Chadbourne, and I was going through his music, and I really connected it to this song of his where he's playing guitar. Listen to this. So 
<laughs> he's a crazy guitar player. Uh, yeah. So that's sort of like a bluegrass style mixed with playing a lot of atonal. Yeah, like it's Philip Glassy and it's almost like notes. his his fingers are out of control. So props to Eugene Chadbourne. You know, I've not really explored his his music, but I might. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. I, I looked I him up. Dig it. He's got like a billion albums. <laughs> so he seems like a person that would have a billion albums. Yeah. Um. So yeah, for for people who don't know, the intro of this song is is they they called him up and they they recorded the guitar solo over the phone, which I just love so much. You know, he played it without any musical accompaniment, without knowing the context of it. I'll bet. He just said, play something, and it's perfect, you know. It's almost like I, I when I sing the song in my head, I sing what he does on guitar. Um, this song to me is interesting. It's a little more on the nose uh, than their other songs lyrically. It's flat out being like, this is an insane song, whereas usually... Mm. The insanity isn't so broadcast as it is uh, just sort of part of the the song, you know? But right. this one is, they're really, again, a lot of the songs on this album are really um, announcing to the world that right. they're they're here and, and get the hell out of the way. <laughs> this one is really leaning into how crazy they can sound and how different and how maybe not accessible. My room's comfortably small with rubber line on the walls and the summer And it's uh, Flansburg is it's almost like a challenge, <laughs> like like this song. Yeah, yeah, we're we're we in fucking dare you. We're in the the latter depths of a of a typical they might be giants album, and that's where they tend to throw their you know they're more in uh, well not not that the other songs aren't interesting, but they're more difficult and. Well, it's kind of like if you've gone this far, why not go all the way? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely, Bill's mood. Bill refers to Bill Kraus. I think that's how you say it. Um, Bill Kraus is someone I'm very interested in. Uh, he's actually on the Facebook group. He'll interact with the fans now and then. He was there. He's sort of the third member for their 80s material. He ran the soundboard at their live the, shows. The Pete Best. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he produced all of their stuff, and he was just kind of their, their main guy. And absolutely, Bill's mood was named that because apparently a computer broke the computer they were using broke down or caught on fire or something at least that's how it is in the memories of the people who who tell it and uh drove him crazy and they said oh well so yeah reference to the 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 phrasing of the title is a reference to how bob dylan would phrase things with you know absolutely sweet marie positively fort street i'm reading this from the wikipedia i am not uh <laughs> that that knowledgeable I'm not a big dylan fan i don't like bob dylan tell me more about what you hate about bob dylan uh you know i don't want to alienate too many people that are listening to this. if you like him you're free to like him no judgment it's definitely just not for me i never got the appeal but i also could <laughs> list a whole ton of bands he doesn't rock like metallica rocks. everybody well That's you know reason. listen look there's plenty of people that probably don't like metallica think they're a silly band no. um and that's fine i mean that's a beautiful thing about music man like not everybody has to like the it's same all, things we're all children but we're all God's children. That's what I meant um, to say. <laughs> Instead, what I said didn't really make any sense. What you said just made it sound like we're all babies. Yeah. But I mean, I could list so many bands that I just don't get that everybody seems to love. And uh, the answers might shock you. When I first got into them and I was in junior high and, and wanted to really make it clear to my classmates that this was my thing, this is definitely a song to play for people to really show them I like 
dark humor. I like macabre. I like uh, <laughs> I like this kind of song. So, but but it's funny though. Like I said, years on though, I, it does just jump out at me as a little more on the nose, a little more blatant. You know, I, it's it's almost funny seeing them play this one live too because of Flansburg's vocal performance. This is another character song. Right. I hope that um, he's really um, kind of growling it up. You know. Uh, you really hear his throat, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's very guttural. It's very primal. Yes, primal. Um, I love the lyrics because, you know, it's one thing to say I'm insane, I'm insane. But <laughs> but some of these lines, I love I love it. I love, I know monkey see, but monkey's dead. Um, <laughs> oh, another monkey reference it's too. It's funny because it's like you're taking a, a very like a childlike phrase and then being like, it's fucking dead. <laughs> yeah. There's your goddamn monkey. Yeah, what what do you any other thoughts about this song or the I, lyrics? I love the line my room is comfortably small. I grew up in well, my first apartment I didn't have a room. <laughs> I so uh I had a bed in the living you, room. You were in the oven. Um and then our second apartment I had an incredibly small room, but so for some reason the the space it's weird like the space that you have to exist in uh in your adolescence is very impactful. Mm. So for you know, the first half of uh, being a kid, I didn't have a space. And then the second half, I had a very confined space. So comfortably small to me. And it's like, it's almost like the fuck that uh, animal, the hermit crab that, yeah. you know, has to grow into whatever shell it's given. And then sure. as soon as it gets a little uncomfortable, it has to find another space. So to it's go funny in. you say that because when we set up for this podcast, I put a, a little sound wall behind Dave of blankets and he felt very uh, claustrophobic. Yeah, it freaked so me out. <laughs> maybe you're grow- you're getting out of your shell, li- yeah. you know, to use Trying your reference. To. You're growing, you're, you're getting out there. Although I don't have claustrophobia at all. And I always... It fascinates. I mean, I have many mm. fears, but I'm always fascinated. <laughs> That's another podcast. Yeah. The many fears of Dave. I'm always fascinated by other people's fears because claustrophobia is not one of them. Like, it's so comfortable to me to be like mm. in a really confined space. Um, like, I know people can't get MRIs sometimes if unless they're open. It reminds them of mm, babies. Yeah. <laughs> I just like. I'm just kidding. I, I understand. <laughs> I understand the feeling. I mean, if I can, if I can have a claim to fame of any kind, it's that I do not feel scared in confined spaces. No Thank you. new taxes. Yeah. Um, one thing I love about this song that I also connect to their other songs is the end part with the applause and the thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I always connect that with, it's like the, the narrator, and I don't mean in a literal sense, but it, it's like reminds me of the narrator until my head falls off who's staring in the mirror and imagining there's an audience in front of him. And I imagine the... This applause and him saying thank you is is he's in a he's in an insane asylum <laughs> and he's just imagining all this approval from the others for his his like daring opinions that are you know or he because he's proud of his insane his insanity he's not yeah. he's not saying help me be. I'm insane he's saying I'm insane and like that's me and and it's such an uh, robotic um, stilted thank you <laughs> yeah, that's so, it's kind of like what the drums are like throughout yeah. the album. And it's funny you say that idea of like the audience because they actually just put out another song this year, um, <laughs> sort of about the same kind of thing about the idea of applause. Yes, I, um, I super love that song. Which is another, way. you know, it's another great new song. Uh, it's a real standout, and I am. I agree. It, it's a little preview of when we talk about that album in a, a year <laughs> or, so, or something. Only a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, we gotta go through 20 friggin' albums, man. The other thing that, that thank you reminds me of is the talking head song. Um, 
Born Under Punches. And in that song, David Byrne, who also is a character in most Talking yeah. Head songs, if not all, <laughs> um, he's kind of like a a seedy businessman politician type who seems to have like, you know, a lot of skeletons in his closet and mentions bodies tumbling. And it's, it's a terrifying song. I think you would, I, I don't know yeah. if you know it well, but you would love it. It's, a, no. it's very scary. It's like they might be giants kind of scary material. And it's also very ambiguous and vague. Uh, but there's a, a, throughout the song, he keeps going like, thank you. Thank you. Like he's doing a, he's remembering a speech he gave at one point. Cause he, he's, he's, his character in that song is called the government man. And <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, <laughs> I know it makes Dave afraid. Yeah. I, Jordan knows all my like, yeah. Um, spaghetti. Ah! Okay. So <laughs> I think we, we covered that one pretty well. Um, I'd like to move on to <laughs> the next, <laughs> we're in like an <laughs> interesting part of this album here. We're through the looking glass people. Yeah. So. The next song, I'll say it's track 15, and it's... Uh, another single. Another another hit single, though funny, played live very often. I think this is an, like an authenticity trip. I think Flansburg truly loves this song. Chess Piece Face. Oh, what's gonna happen to Chess Piece Face? There go I, but for my face, all I know could be defaced by the chess piece face. This is <laughs> this is maybe the epitome of of flansy craziness, little flansies. Dave, I almost want you to go first because uh, you seem to have really strong reaction to the song. Yeah, this song I think is the creepiest song they've ever done. <laughs> I'm just playing it so that we can yeah, I mean, get into the zone. Listen to the intro alone jordan is, is that flansburg singing i have never heard flansburg sing like that and it's such a strange thing because because while absolutely bill's mood and some of the other songs are are wild flansburg vocal performances that are character and that one's like a subtle character yeah. i don't believe he's dreaming or if he cares to know I That's not like I'm a character. That one's like a little off. It's like when a good impressionist can do, can do like a, I don't know, like a Matt Damon impression or something, where you're like, well, his voice is normal, but then you're like, oh, that is that. I'm I love that performance, and I've never even when they do it live, he pretty much sings it normally. Yeah. Normal, I mean, and what you know, his typical singing style. I get why you would ask that. Um, I get your uncertainty. It's it's a strange performance, but I I love it. It makes to me it makes the song, you know, what it is. As musically unsettling as it was, it was even more unsettling when our friend Daniel Daniel, our our they might be giants friend from brother from another mother, yeah, was discussing with both of us, saying like, oh, it, that's about someone they know. Yeah. <laughs> so Flansburg revealed that that was about a coworker of his who had a a dis. 
<laughs> a facial disformity. Um, Some he, kind of messed up face, man. And on the Wikipedia, it, it quotes him from a, a obscure Facebook comment. I remember when he went on Facebook to answer questions for like five minutes. It was very strange. But he commented that the song, someone, of course, was like, what is this song about? Which yeah. I think is hilarious that that's like one of the only things someone had to say. But um, it's an abstract way to describe a disfiguring disease. You know, this is like this is like surreal painter kind of stuff yeah. in my mind. This is like a this is like a dolly or like a insert uh, someone who knows more about surreal painters <laughs> here. Um, it's yeah. This to me is is another one where I'm like, no one else could have written this. This is completely unique and special and scary. Uh, I love, <laughs> I I love that it exists. What do you picture when you think of a chess piece face? I I've never I think I've always avoided it. I think I've always, <laughs> it's too, I think it's, it's too like unsettling. covering my eyes when I was little and watching Killer Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> I used to think that was the scariest movie that I didn't know it was camp a purposeful comedy camp. It's still pretty scary. <laughs> I I don't know. I guess I picture someone with a bunch of bumps on his face. Yeah. Um I guess yeah, a bunch of little bumps or big bumps on a guy's face. Or big bumps. Or big bumps. Let's not be prejudiced. I like big bumps, I cannot lie. <laughs> I um, kind of picture um, that Punisher villain, uh, Jig Fate. Jig Fate. <laughs> <laughs> the jig is up. Let me do that again. Uh, jig Face. Could be defaced by the facts in the life of Chess Piece Face. Chess Piece Face. Jigsaw? I don't know this villain. I, fun, so, uh, more cards on the table. <laughs> I, I'm a big comic book nerd and I've read thousands upon thousands at, I think at this point of Marvel comics but I, I actually have not read a lot of Punisher except the Garth Ennis run no one knows what I'm talking about <laughs> uh, but except Dave but uh, what's describe this this villain to me Dave. so maybe you should Google uh, sure I'm gonna Google it Google it just, just a little bit Jigsaw uh, Punisher <laughs> just uh, clicking on images here oh I see so his face is all cut up uh, and it's kind of pieced together. So this is what you imagine when you hear the yeah. song, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it doesn't directly link up to the description of a chess piece, but I kind of, I don't know, I just imagine like all sorts of weird, because uh, chess pieces have all different kinds of shapes and, yeah. and points to them. And like There's the bishop, a little horsey. The, <laughs> the bishop, That's the one I know mainly. You know, the bishop is pointed and the pawn is round and the 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 rook has <laughs> men are from mars women are from me. um look, look if you want a podcast about chess there's plenty yeah but i just yeah i imagine someone that kind of had like a very severe facial reconstructive surgery and that unsettles me sorry yeah <laughs> i think it's funny fans are often asking flansberg about this song and i almost think he's uncomfortable with how mean <laughs> he, he oh, yeah, is yeah. writing a song about someone he knew who had some sort of a physical a problem and i you know i think they might be giants i think fans just have to accept that a lot of their songs are mean songs about people they do hmm. i think dr worm is is uh confirmed to be that i think certain people i could name is that i think flansberg when will you die that see, that's the one thing that I I don't think is that, but I don't want to get into an yeah. argument about. Sorry, it. <laughs> I take it back. My theory on that song is that it's about the listener, not about uh, any specific Ooh. person. We'll save it for the two years from now when okay. we get to that album. So, um, yeah, I love when they. I love these mean <laughs> songs from them. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to be you know mean or cruel uh, particularly, but that is my um, just first visceral reaction 
And and even that though, you know, even the, the coworker thing, it, it doesn't quite explain the lyrics. There's there's certain things here that I don't really understand. Uh, you know, the narrator is in inside of a lampshade. Maybe he's <laughs> what I imagine is a Bugs Bunny type thing. And and they definitely use old Looney Tunes cartoons uh, kind of uh, logic in there in some of their yeah, songs before. That's interesting. I imagine the Bugs Bunny thing of someone is hiding from someone else, so Bugs Bunny or whoever will put a lampshade on their head and pretend and stand still. And it's like, Oh, it's a lamp. And it's like a joke. So that's kind of what I picture for that, which by the way, thinking for the first time right now. So it's like, I don't know where he lives or if he knows to sail. I have no clue of the context of that. I would love if someone had any idea about that. I sometimes don't like reading the interpretations on the wiki because sometimes they uh, (laughs) enrage me. <laughs> and I I have to restrain myself from getting into little fights with people, which I've, you know, I know I'm capable of. So I don't often read the interpretations. I wonder if anyone's, if he knows to sail. It just goes along with all of uh, Flansburg's references to the sea and the ocean, and oh, that's true. Nautical uh, stuff. I mean, what is going to happen to Chesapeake's face? I wonder. I wonder where this person is now. Maybe he's listening right now. Email us at <laughs> don't let's start podcast at gmail.com if you are Chesapeake's face and you want to give us an update on what happened to you. Um, Dave, do you have any other? <laughs> I love, the, oh, by the way, about the musically, I, I love the echo in the voice. I always thought that was really interesting. It makes the song sound more, all the more lonely. Yeah. Like he's in like a little room, not, you know, a little comfortable little room. Uh, it's, his voice is kind of echoing right off the wall right near him. I just think everything about the song is designed to be really creepy. Very successful in accomplishing that. <laughs> so on to the next track, um, though, I, I really think we could just do a podcast, multiple episode podcast about Chesapeake's face. Uh, I think that's the spinoff show. So the next track to me is is like their anthem. I think it's another. Agreed. I think uh, like maybe one or two other songs on this album. This is like a mission statement song. I think nothing's going to change my clothes is a mission statement. And I then second place, I think, or maybe first place. I hope that I get old before I die. Interesting thing about that, it almost has the same intro that Chesapeake's face yeah. <laughs> has, that, that bending chord of uh, synths. <laughs> I wonder if that was on purpose or if it's just Flansburg was in that zone that day. So this one also kind of rounds out the last of what I noticed to be the weird tracks, though I wanted to ask you if you think this qualifies. It's kind of half in, half out, because it is in the, in the vein of nothing's going to change my clothes, as you said. Like, it is uh, a very complex, layered... Um, musical song but it also has all those samples and things that disrupt it yeah um so it's a little bit of both it it kind of actually is perfect to lead into the last batch of it's not four anymore it's kind of a perfect lead into the next two songs that are a little bit more stripped down and a little bit more anthemic sure anthemic anthemic I think anthemic is when you uh, are really lacking a certain kind of blood cell or something. <laughs> That's a good joke, Jordan. Uh, this is another song. Um, I assume Flansburg wrote it, but I don't know. I actually, they both sing a verse and I think it's Flansburg. I'm pretty sure it's Flansburg, but I, I wonder if Linnell wrote his verse. I mean, that'd be cool. So you were saying this is sort of a mission statement song. Explain what you mean by that. Oh, it's a long, long rope that used to hang you soon, I hope. And I wonder why this hasn't happened. Why, why? 
Yeah, this song, okay, first it's referencing the Who song. Right. Which is called My Generation. I was about to say it's called Hope I Die Before I Go. <laughs> um, it's called My Generation, which uh, I assume most people know. That'd be disturbing to me if they didn't. The Who was a band. Uh, the Who was a band. So at this point, you're going to kind of have to look them up yourself. Yeah. If you if you really don't so, know. Yeah, I mean, this is like a polka. I mean, there's so many things about this. It's already a polka, but then they take, well, sort of like what you said, they take the polka and throw a bunch of crazy crap on the wall. <laughs> uh, this song keeps being interrupted by wacky right. synth sounds. It's a song that is similar to the other songs where you, you can't play it to a new person without really keeping in mind how crazy it sounds and how being... It's too disjointed. It's Well, yeah, I don't know if it's too disjointed. I mean, I think it's just the right amount disjointed. Well, you know what I mean. Too disjointed yeah. for the norms. For the, for normies. the normies. Yeah. Um, it does. It sounds squares. like it sounds like someone is in a recording studio, like drunk and tripping and falling over the, <laughs> the key, synths and stuff around them. But I, I think this is a mission statement in the sense that we're, it's like we are a band that sings songs about dying, about getting old and dying, and not in a cool punk teenager romantic way the way The Who did. You know, it's like hope I die before I get old is, is like the idea is that getting old is never going to happen to you. Right. It's so far in the future that you can't even imagine that you'd be just like your parents or your grandparents. Yeah, heaven forbid. This song is um, the complete opposite. And not just because of that wordplay, but it's 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 just saying, you know, this is going to happen and we hope it happens. And right. Because the alternative is just being dead. Yeah, exactly. This again, this is this is them saying we write songs about death. Um I really do, I, I said it, but I really do wonder if Linnell wrote that other verse because it, it does feel like Linnell uh, wordplay and like visual logic. We're off the kitchen table, darling. We're on the kitchen table, I must lie. I'm just tired for my wife, serve the banquet of my life, and I hope that I get old. The clear off the kitchen oh, table, uh, I just serve the banquet of my life. The, the pun and the wordplay there feels like a Linnell lyric. And that'd be very interesting to me to know who wrote that. If you know, don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. We want retractions. We want corrections. We want love. We don't want any criticism. <laughs> That's just an honest statement, folks. Um, I'm, I'm not so bad with the... Uh, Dave thrives on it. He gains strength from it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't wish it on myself, but yeah. I... I I, you know, I don't know. I want this to be kind of an honest place, if that's if that makes any sense. And if someone has something to say, and I mean, everybody knows how well I take criticism. Yeah, it's I'm so, kind of famous for it. So after uh, Hotel Detective, this is the other song that mentions hanging from a rope. Right. Um, not in so many words, or in exactly those words. <laughs> it's a long, long rope, like the long, long trailer that they use to hang you soon. I hope. So the, you know, the idea is that it, it, it's like the rope is like a visual symbol for your lifespan, right? Yeah. It's like a timeline and it's going to, it's all, we're all falling on this long, long rope. Well, you know what they say. Two longs might not be enough. We might want a few more longs there. What do they say, Dave? The longer the rope. <laughs> the bigger the hope. Oh. Um, yeah, I turned, I made it nice. Thank you. <laughs> I turned your gross thing into a nice thing. I love, I think about the dirt that I'll be wearing for a shirt. Um, 
you know, that's it's like nothing's going to change my clothes. The reason yeah. I think th- these two songs are, are are kind of mission statements for them is because being buried and being underground and being in the dirt and being a corpse and not being alive anymore is, a, is such a, a persistent theme. And these two songs really spell it out. But I also like it's a little bit refreshing, again, going off the idea of this is turning the Who song on its ear. Um, they seem to be pretty afraid of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, they seem to be worried about it. They're obviously, you know, preoccupied with it, but I think that honesty is they're doomed and they're drowned right. by the feeling. Yeah. So, but I think it's like a little refreshing, especially in the first album to just be like, look, this is something that's on our minds. We're not exactly comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, and they were young when they wrote this. <laughs> they yeah, were, yeah. They were like in their twenties, early twenties, I would assume. When I mean, were... look, maybe I don't want to delve too much into the psychology of what I'm drawn to about the band, but that definitely might be one of the reasons. The only other thing I wanted to say about the song in the mission statement sense is they're saying they feel like being dry, you know, uh, when I was younger, I didn't know what dry meant. I thought it meant literal. Um, and I don't know if it's a pun because they say they're drowned. It wouldn't surprise me. I'm just thinking of that now. But yeah, the, Pretty the, smart. the, the dry humor is that's them saying, I mean, I know at their early live shows, this was a huge staple of their early live shows and they would hold up cue cards and they would have the audience sing along. And there's a really great bootleg of, clip of them, of Flansburg and Linnell uh, scolding the audience for not singing along right. Where are the men of New Orleans? Please sing loud. Oh, oh. Have you no discipline? No guts? Oh, it's 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 pretty great, and so to me that kind of proves the the idea that that this was a song they wanted. They wanted the audience to sing it because they wanted the audience to feel these feelings and understand these lyrics and they all wanted to be one with with this existential dread right well in in a way that might make them overcome it or not (laughs) sharing the experience with the audience i mean maybe that's part of uh putting it out there in the first place we're gonna do it quietly now because that seems to be the only thing that the people in this bar understand that's quiet and solitude please we're gonna do it very quietly now Flip the card slower. If you, why don't you just move to the center of the room? Get away from that dead man over there. I also okay. love uh, the way Linnell pronounces the <laughs> tired for my wife. He kind of says, I'm just tired for my wife. <laughs> and it's like, how does that happen? I always wondered, did he, was that on purpose? Was that an outtake that they're like, no, go with that one. <laughs> I assume that's an out, uh, that was an outtake. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll move on to Alienations for the Rich. This song is dedicated to all you modern-day troubadours out there. And I think I know who you are. I gotta get a job. I got to get some pay. My son's gotta go to art school. He's leaving in three days. Uh, this is a song that I... I don't really know what they were going for with it, though recently Flansburg wrote a, a pretty extensive thing on the, the Tumblr about it. Uh, we could talk about that. But Dave, what do you think of this song? Uh, so this is actually one of those songs that grew on me a lot um, and then became one of my favorites. Really? Yeah, uh, surprisingly, because like I said, it's a pretty simple song, 
comparatively, you know, for them. It's just like a, it's a genre right. one again. It's a country, old timey kind of country song. It's a little bit more laid back. It's a little bit, you know, not as crazy or out of the box. I imagine the, the cartoon of them on the tour 2040 shirt is yeah. <laughs> performing this song while they're in rocking chairs. Um, I just, I really love the vibe and the lyrics of this song where it's like the, you know, the working class thing again that we've mentioned on uh, the last episode. Um, very small. It's a very small song. It's not, it's not overwhelming you with too complex ideas. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, and Possibly. I, I don't know if I'd agree with that. All right. Well, go fuck yourself, but <laughs> too much. <laughs> I, I will right now. <laughs> eager, eager. Sorry. I'm back. I did it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't mean to react that badly. Uh, like I said, great with criticism. Um, <laughs> well, be that as it may, it's a smaller song compared to other things uh, that are on the album. And it's sure, uh, you know, I just love the reference to like not having enough money and <laughs> yeah, I just love, I'm not happy with the state of things in my life. We're going to make it better with a six of Miller high life. Yeah. Um, this is a narrator who's got, <laughs> he's really got everything together. I mean, who doesn't kind of relate to that? Like, well, I'm going to just throw in the fucking towel right now. And mm -hmm. um, it's, it's kind of refreshing in the dense space of sure. the rest of this album, where it's this very simple, very relatable sentiment. See, I, I think this song is as artsy as, as anything else. I think we might disagree here. Um, Never. A few things. <laughs> well, I'm taking it at face value. Oh, sure, so sure. I'm sure... Chess piece face value. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> Um, so one is that in live shows, he would often say this song was written by my father, Earl Flansburg. I think we're ready to rock, but that's not what we're going to do. So I sort of see the song as from the point of view of his dad and because he ah. says his son wants to go to art school. So it's like a, a right. song for outside of himself, kind of making fun of himself and or making fun of their their his his relationship with his dad. Maybe not in a literal sense, maybe just in a very like a, in the spirit of of their you know what they had going on. But um, I also I want to read what he said recently. I by the way, I love the They Might Be Giants Tumblr. Flansburg is unbelievably generous with his time for fans. He answers multiple questions a day on this thing, sometimes going really in depth, especially if you ask him about uh, what they use to record or gear stuff, because right. he loves to talk about that. With this song, he gave a fan an interesting response when they asked what the, the phrase alienations for the rich means. So I'll read some of it now. He says, it's not a concept we invented, but the current popular expression that runs parallel is first world problems. And he says, although I wouldn't ever want to make a song called that, because that's their taste. You I, know. Yeah, I just read this too, actually. Yeah, because yeah. they, they wouldn't do a song called that. Uh, Weird Al did. And it's a pretty funny song, actually, but, but that, that's, they're not Weird Al. The notion is that because their troubles and issues are immediate, working people don't have time to feel alienated from the world in the abstract, highfalutin way that existential dread is described. That seemed like an interesting point of view to write a song from. The more I write about the whole concept here, the more suspect the basic notion seems. My son's gotta go to art school. He's leaving in three days. And the TV is in Esperanto. You know that that's a bitch. But alienations for the rich. See, that kind of backs up what I was saying. Actually, it kind of combines oh, yeah. both of what... 
kind of combines both of what we were saying where it's like this episode is like the first album of they might be dying where we're gonna do funny voices and we're gonna <laughs> you know that uh, backs up what i'm saying what did you think of that song dave because he's saying it's it is a point of view song so scruffy likes it. <laughs> maybe uh, uh no keep uh throwing me off it's great <laughs> i i live to give uh Suffer and suck attack. Get them all out. <laughs> I drink very caffeinated tea. I've, I'm, this it's is gonna, still tea. This is going to be the new thing. I don't know why it, they always say British people with their tea. They're so like polite and you know. This makes me, this tea made me feel insane. <laughs> I feel like putting going on. I have something to tell you. That wasn't tea at all. Well, your back was turned. Anyway, did you, did you pee in my tea? <laughs> You were saying that this this proves both of our points, so please continue. Though it is a point of view song, which gives it another layer uh, from an outsider's perspective, it's mm-hmm. still something that he was uh, thinking about and trying to get into the mindset of mm-hmm. the person um, that's having those feelings. When I think about this now, I, I see it as kind of, I think Flansburg, I think artsy people like him, and, and I like to say like us, but I think he's almost on another level where it really consumes every waking moment. Um, I think there's almost like a guilt because it's like, I I care so much about artsiness and not as much about maybe things that matter, (laughs) matter and politically. I know I I feel this too, too. especially like, let's say on, on Twitter or Facebook, I I really just want to talk about art and movies and, and abstract ideas. And I really don't have, I don't feel the, the urge to talk about real things. (laughs) Maybe it's a way to escape because it's. Well, yeah, like, I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's, it's hard to process everything that's happening in the world, especially when you're a creative person or yeah. an artistic person. I think one prerequisite for being, you know, creative person, artsy person is to sort of feel things more, uh, see things in a different way. You know, whatever you want to say is the definition. So when you feel that way, those things affect you a lot. And if you let those things affect you all the time, it can be really hard to function. Yeah, I think artsy people like Flansburg and like me, uh, our our mind, our brains are going a mile a minute all the time. I'm always thinking about everything. I'm always thinking about what's that guy thinking? What's that girl thinking? Oh, what? I recently started trying to do meditation to shut the hell up. Yeah, I actually did it before we recorded today because I've been, you know, it was like a stressful day. So it's like the idea of just turning your brain off and the idea of this. So what I was saying is I think the song is kind of a, a, almost like Flansburg exploring his guilt about being so into the artsy scene and there are normal people out there and not wanting to feel above them. And the, the blue collar thing right. when you're an artist is a, is a strange thing because obviously like a, any blue collar Joe is probably as smart or as in, has interesting things to say as anyone. But when you're an artsy type, you kind of have an arrogance about you, I think. And yeah. you're like, I think of, of crazy ideas and, and you know, who knows the truth of that. But I, I know I definitely understand the feeling, you know, the feeling, especially when we were in high school and we were younger and we thought everyone around us was like a dummy. I think, you know, there's only so much space in your brain. And if you're the uh, if you're an artistic type, you're kind of thinking about on a different wavelength. Not necessarily a better wavelength. <laughs> no, exactly. Um, yeah. You're you're just thinking about what your interests are and what what your passions are, and I think you want to impress people all the time. You want to impress yourself. You want to be unique. You want to you want to make your mark. Yeah. I, well. Yeah. There's. I mean. Look. We can talk about the self worth um, aspect of being an artist too, and you know, being defined by your art or your career or whatever it is, which expands to other uh, jobs, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I think, you know, most the general average person wants to be a good person. They want to do good things and they want to uh, benefit society and not take away from society. But it's hard. There's only so much, like I said, there's only so much space in your brain to dedicate to every single problem that you're aware of. Dave, what has society done for me? Um, you don't have to answer that. Uh, I So, yeah, I think this song, the, the idea that it's like his... And again, we don't know anything about Flansburg's dad. I don't want to know anything about Flansburg's dad. It's his life. But I think the the kind of the the concept is that, you know, it's like it would be funny or interesting if my dad was the blue collar type and he doesn't understand me, who's the artsy type. I think a lot of artsy people do relate to that. Um, you know, their, their parents not really getting the <laughs> what they're doing. Um, so I think it's it's interesting that he's exploring this dynamic of, I live with this artsy kid, but I just want to watch TV, <laughs> you know? I, I also, I often think, like, would it be just as strange and alienating if I had a kid who was not artsy at all? Yeah, I th- I've thought about that, too. I, you know, a kid that was into sports and... <laughs> and just I wouldn't have any way to relate to them. I, I wanted to say one thing quick about... I'm always reminded of this, uh, the time we were listening to this song again, Daniel, who, you know, we'll have to get him. Daniel is going to be next time he's in the, in yeah. New York city, he'll be on the show with us, but he's sort of the third, he's like the Bill Krause. <laughs> right. He's the conduit. He's the nucleus. I'm an electron. Guilty is charged. <laughs> uh, those aren't atoms, right? When we were listening to this song, it, uh, it was just the serendipitous, weird, uh, universe-altering thing where the line, uh, my son's got to go to art school, he's leaving in three days. It was three days before I was starting uh, my first day at FIT, going this, off to college. This strikes a memory with me. I think I remember you saying, pointing this out. I'm almost positive this was in Keith's house. Keith! When we did that. Um, yeah. And he was kind of lip-syncing, you know, in a jokey way of the line, and he pointed to me and... Uh, Daniel? Said, yeah, yeah. And okay. He pointed at me when he said, um, my son's got to go to art school. He's leaving in three days. Um, and this thing kind of turned inside me where I was like, I got like a, a little sad. I got a little depressed. I was like, oh man, like it is sort of like a changing of the guard kind of yeah. thing. And it made me think about my dad um, and like, what does he oh, think? Wow. And like, you know, not, not to get too funny, sentimental or I, anything. I but, see the song is so anti sentimental I don't see that the dad is... is uh, feeling any feelings about it. I know, I know. I think the dad is is a little bewildered by his son wanting to go to art school and a little indifferent. <laughs> and that's, I totally get that. And I can't, but I can't uh, get this, you know, experience that I had out of my head that just makes oh, it so a very, sen- and maybe that's why I like it more as I get old. Like it made it a very sentimental song for me and it made me mm. think about my family in a See, strange way. To me, this goes along with Hotel Detective, where it's not a it's not a favorite. It's one I like, but it's not it's not one that ever um, blew my mind when I was little in, in that emotional way. I, I think we should maybe just talk a little tiny bit about the music. I, it's Flansburg. They mentioned um, there is a crazy old demo of this song, and we'll talk about oh, that wow. another time. Um, I really love this version of the song. It's totally different sounding. Do I have that demo? Yes, yes, use. <laughs> Use means it's, yes, you do. It's a little faster, right? It's a little like the, more... the rhythm's totally different. It's do 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 do. Yeah, do, yeah, do. yeah. It's so. It's in, more but... of like a march. Gotta get a job. Gotta get some pay. Son's gotta go to art school. He's leaving in three days. And TV's talking Spanish. You know that that's a bitch. But also that when they recorded it for the first album, they, again, I think they ran out of tracks or they forgot, but there was supposed to be this Linnell harmony, which he does live. It was like, 
alien. But I can't do it. <laughs> I'm gonna not try to do it. It's hard to do a harmony when there's no when other you're voice. Whispering. <laughs> yeah, when I'm staring at my friend in it with a microphone. Um, so there's you that, and I think there was supposed to be some blazing guitar solo or something too. I don't know I might be thinking of something else. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I really find it interesting that the limitations they had because they ran out of tracks. Yeah, is, I mean sometimes that's a whole other um, tool in in making a song or any kind of you know creative work better is the limitations you got. I mean, it's that's a, it's a so whole hard other topic that we. It's so hard these days to not have uh, just do anything you want to do with your home setup. I was just talking it. about this how you know once. Photoshop was invented, it was like I could tweak and um, adjust things to my heart content, but it can kind of also um, sterilize things and hold you back a little bit because you can adjust things too much. It's the same with Pro Tools and making music. Yeah. Um, same with CGI with movies. Um, you can keep adjusting and adjusting until you kind of lose the spark. Yeah. See, this is, I feel like the narrator in this song talking about all this newfangled <laughs> stuff. Um, so let's, let's move on. We're, we're near. Oh, one more thing. Sorry. One more thing we're, about this song. Sure. I, I can't, uh, not if I have a party or someone bring, I don't really drink that much, um, you know, just in my house, but if there's a party or a bar or something, if someone brings a six pack of Miller High yeah. Life, I can't help but yell that out really loud. Oh, yeah. and, it, and it makes me so happy, uh, to kind of croon that line after you've been drinking. Yeah, this is this is yet again. This is a, a big Flansburg performance, a boisterous right. performance. Uh, he does the his laugh at the end. <laughs> you know, a hotel detective laugh. He likes the, to laugh at the end. Of he's films. a happy guy on this album. He's having a good time. He's a happy pappy. <laughs> but this next song is not happy, and it's called "The Day." The day. Got married, the trees all waved their giant arms and happiness bled from every street corner and by planes bombed with love. So this is another, this is a little Flansburg you know, interesting song that is super unique and, and unlike anything I had heard. And uh, it's it's a personal favorite, I'd say. I find it, you know, moving and mysterious and as, as much about the, the, you know, the mystery of death, you know, as anything and, and a little bit more sad approach to death than in the other lyrics. And I, I remember I used, because the song only has you know, a few lines. I used to write it in my high school notebook all the time. And, really? or I used to write it and pass it as a note to someone because, because it'd be like, what could someone make of this? And, you know, kind of show my sophistication and my, the poetry that I liked and the kind of lyrics I liked. What do you think mm-hmm. of the, the day, Dave, the Dave? I have to say, it's not one of the songs I think about a lot on this album, not to be contrarian. Uh, I like it. Maybe because it's so sh- too stripped down and simple, there's not like a lot for me to latch onto there. I agree you mean with musically, musically, yeah. Sure, because <laughs> I was like, I-, I think it's an astonishing amount of com- complexities for so few lyrics. I, you can I write agree. a book about this, what the song is about. Yeah, I agree, but I also think probably the two of us, maybe you're more into lyrics and I'm more into music. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, maybe, maybe you're right. You um, may be wrong. You may be right. <laughs> I mean, How does that song go? <laughs> I don't know. 
I certainly, you know, obviously I love reading lyrics and, um, but I, I think I more pay attention to music than lyrics. So for me, this song doesn't have a lot to grab onto musically, but I 100% agree with you. It's a very moving song lyrically. It is kind of just like a poem. Yeah. Um, it's like a haiku. Yeah, it's it's very stripped down. It's very bare. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the idea I think is it's almost like a like a drinking song. You know, with the the second yeah. part, the second half of the song, where the the drunken, out of control vocals. And again, this is something that on someone's first listen they might laugh, but to me, it's so sad. Yeah, it's it's not funny. I mean, I, there's this constant struggle with with the the way they they sing and the way they are that. There's a, there's definitely, like we talked, there's that distance, there's that wall up of irony and, and wry humor. And, and so sometimes it's like, if they're trying to be emotive and sad, it, it might come out kind of funny. And, and this might be an example of that. I mean, I'm sure the song is exactly how they want it, but I do wonder if, if it's supposed to be more uh, tragic sounding than, than grotesque or comical as it, as it might be to a, a first listener. I think this is a really special song. Uh, it's always been one of my favorites. So I don't know. It, there's, it's so short. There's not much to talk musically about it. Although I certainly always love to hear Linnell playing an accordion and Flansburg singing because it's like, I just think of the two of them together hanging out. I mean, vocally, it is another tour de force of uh, Flansburg's vocal range. And I think the first half where he sings quietly is like very pretty. And that's yeah. something that he doesn't do. Now he does that a lot more. He sings softer and yeah. there's, he's, I've been noticing lately, he's been writing a lot more um, sweet songs, right? Do you think his voice just can't uh, take <laughs> the same abuse as it used to? Or I'm really not sure. I, I really don't know, but. I'm always amazed by like people like Paul McCartney or somebody like that, who's like still belting out. Helter Skelter. Their songs the same way when they were, you know. I watched a live show that he did like a few months ago and it was like that. I mean, he sounds exactly the same, like (laughs) exactly. Basically. He doesn't sound desiccated or anything. <laughs> um, but I, I, him, Flansburg doing that sweet, soft voice, which he doesn't do anywhere else on this album, is really nice. Uh, it's, it's something that we're going to get more of. Where? In the future. <gasps> the future. Oh. And I don't know, is there, is there anything else? I, I love the line, you know, happiness bled from every street corner. If, if there's ever like a good um, contrasted within two words, <laughs> that, yeah. that's to me, that's brilliant. Happiness bled, you know, it's it's kind of like why I, I named the last episode the line dividing laugh and scream. It's like this, oh shit, you did it! I did it. It's like their music. It sounds happy and fun and wacky, and the lyrics are complicated and dark and disturbing and sad. And so those two things together is the essence of they might be giants. It's usually what how people describe the band to other people. And that those two words, happiness bled. The, to me, that's they might be giants. That's their. That's the music. You know, this can almost be like another mission statement song. But I'm saving that for the next one. So yeah, that that's all, that's basically what I have to say about that. All right. I think I, I think I blew Dave's mind a little bit. Credit where credits due. Yeah, you've been you've been blowing my mind. Oh, what, one more thing about that song, just the Phil Oaks reference. Uh, they cover him later on in in, yes. in their career, so I think they they have a, might have an affinity for him. They cover the song "One More Parade." Up, two, three, four, marching down the street, the rolling of the drums and the tramping of the feet. General salutes and the mothers waving. We 
Here comes the big uh, I lost track if my group of four theory still holds water. Yeah. I think we're on five or six. Dave is not keeping his campaign promises. Um, I'm bad at math, but uh, this last song is definitely more of a hit of a single. I mean, obviously, a lot of times the last song in album has to be a standout. And this is no exception, and it's called Rhythm Section One Ad. Yeah, so this is uh, the big ending song for the album, and we're also like, how do you end an album like like this? And I think you end it with a song about it itself. Yeah, yeah, it's very self-referential, uh, very referential in general. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you want to talk about that a little bit? I, I'm. I think I'm thinking of putting. I think we might put in some clips here. I got an MDC clip. I have a Eurythmics clip. One thing I love about this song is is from the old news group. One time, my favorite writer there, Chris Stengel, uh, who is an internet friend of mine, he's a great writer. He's very very talented, and he's a super fan of They Might Be Giants. He did a he did a list of his top five They Might Be Giants songs of each album that he loved the most, with a little one sentence interpretation after. And yeah. for Rhythm Section One ad, he wrote autobiography as suicide note. <laughs> and to me, that that really, whether literal or not, what they were intending, it, it captures the spirit of the song, which is this super distressed <laughs> um it's a very uh, upsetting look at who the, you know how they're perceived right right it's almost a laundry list of every misinterpretation mm-hmm. um aspersion cast upon them <laughs> yeah. um any every derogatory thing they've ever encountered yeah um, and, and kind of put forth in a positive way making a song out of it ending an album with it yeah i mean to me this, this to me this is maybe the third mission statement song which is that saying we are who we are and we, we, we don't give a fuck we yeah we're not gonna change our sound for the people with dollar signs in their eyes we're going to do what we do and and let the chips fall where they may which is a very punk rock thing to say it is very punk i also think it's funny what linnell finds insulting this is another hate song of someone right. I, you know it's based on something someone said to them so this i don't think he sounds like olive oil at all oh i'm so excited hot cha cha hey hey i'm packing up my troubles cause i'm moving today Woo! i'm so excited everything's okay <laughs> I, I don't either but i think Look, I, I know I keep mentioning my own music and stuff because I, I really have had these experiences where people say something I sound like and I find it in their mind, they're not insulting me. Yeah. <laughs> in their mind, they might be giving me the biggest compliment ever. I find other people's compliments are usually really dumb. Yeah. It makes me want to uh, run away sometimes <laughs> when someone says something about my music that is a compliment to them, but an insult to me. And that's that's really what this whole song is about. Um, at least one strata of what it's about. Right. The people in the song might not have even thought that they were insulting them. <laughs> yeah. Um, like the, the Eurythmics, the only thing I can figure is the synths, right? Oh, you use yeah. synths, like the Eurythmics. Whereas I don't think the Eurythmics are, are bad. Uh, I, I don't even know if they think they're bad exactly, but I think it's more like they're we're not doing the thing they're doing yeah. and it's a mistake to think that we are. There's nothing worse when someone <laughs> compares you to something else that you're not personally a fan of. No, it's it's happened to me a lot. It, it it's It's a strange feeling. 
so yeah, I love the song that, you know, the earlier versions of the song are even more emphasizing the crazy drum yeah. machine. Um, we'll get into that another time, but the, the breakdown of the song of them playing the powerhouse, right? Uh, you know, it's the old Looney Tunes, uh, go-to music where yeah, the, factory, the little kitten gets, uh, caught up in a big machine and the dog. Mm-hmm. All right. See, people are going to write in about this. <laughs> the dog's name is Brutus, right? I don't remember. <laughs> I think the dog's name is Brutus and Bruto? I don't think the cat is oh. ever mentioned. But, oh, okay, sure. Um, inevitably, the cat is always safe. Yeah. But poor Brutus is very worried the whole time. And that's an interesting, you know, context of why they might <laughs> be playing that part. Maybe they feel like... Uh, They'll be fine, even if people think that they're right. killing their career by doing this music. That's Do you think a, that's where they heard it from in the first? I place? think they're. I, it must I, be. Right? I think they're big Looney Tunes fans. On I really I do. Get that too. I, I don't. I, there's other references I mean, there's, that I'm not remembering, but I know that this is. They're you know they're old timey cartoon fans for sure. Can we take <laughs> one second to look up the name of that dog? Let's do it. Spike the Bulldog? No, that's not the that's one. That's a little guy. Oh, shit. Yeah, Chester. Who the fuck is Brutus? Yeah, Chester. Hector. What? There's three different names now. Hector, Spike, uh, what about this guy? Mike? <laughs> See, this is why when Dave asked me, do you remember the name? I was like, I don't remember there being one. It's not like Taz where he's on all these t-shirts. Where do I, where do I get Brutus from? All right. When I go home later, I'm going to get like a definitive name. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring don't it to let's my... start podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> I'm going to bring that retraction to the next episode for sure, because I do take cartoons very seriously. This song also reminds me of Youth Culture Killed My Dog, because it's it has a similar bizarre take on what pop culture, current pop culture of that day, which I guess was 80, 86, 85 when they wrote it, um, maybe earlier. But, you know, the hats off to the new age hairstyle made of bones. So that's, it's them, it's like a, the surreal, more of that surreal painter interpretation of well, the bands that we're playing on these bills with are dressed like weirdos and morons. Yeah. And we think that's kind of silly. And this is them saying, I mean, so I'm saying silly as a light term. They might think it's fucking Well, it's funny stupid. how self-aware they are to know that all these were fads. That's what's so interesting too is that this this song is a time capsule. Yeah, it's but it's a strange. time capsule that's way ahead of its time. It, it's saying that this stuff is dated already. It's like they knew what was coming. So I, I always I love that. I I think now just on a pure musical level, this to me is just one of the most catchiest great Linnell songs. It's a great chorus. I love what Flansberg's doing in the background. The no no yeah. no no. <laughs> I always jump to that when I think of Flansburg voice <laughs> um, highlights. I always think of that. And even just the, the you know, the, the whole way the songs put together, the, the guitars, the, the, uh, the accordion, it's, it really is a genuinely great rock pop song, but it's about how they can't, it's about how other people think that they can't make other genuinely great rock pop yeah, songs. Yeah. So anything else about this song? Because I guess we're, we're actually wrapping up this episode and I can't believe it. <laughs> this has felt like an epic journey um, through this insane album. Um, yeah. There's one more thing I want to do, which is give credit to the cover artist because we're both, we're both people interested in cartoons and 
and art. I just feel like he deserves a mention because it's the first They Might Be Giants album. It's really special and it really establishes, you know, what the band... Although I would say this is this might be a little different in tone than the later album art that they would do, which I think is a little more subdued, <laughs> not as yeah. uh, cartoony and silly, uh, except for maybe the children's stuff. But um, Rodney Allen Greenblatt did the did the cover art, and he's he's kind of someone who is is in my good books for life because he he presented They Might Be Giants to the yeah. world. I mean, what a cool gig to have! And there's all these funny jokes. You ever notice the movies playing and the marquee in the I, background? Just recently, yeah. Let's let's look at it. It's TMB Cinema. Uh, Rambo, Aliens, E.T., Friday 13, and I know there was a thread once on the old news group trying to determine which sequel that was because it was like it could be a reshowing of this or that or it could be a because it doesn't line up exactly right. Um, Dave got very exhausted from that. This, this podcast is too exhaustive for Dave. And Top Gun Commando, which I watched not too, well, a little while ago. That's a great, that's a great movie. Psycho 3 and Back to School. Back to School featuring Oingo Boingo. That's a little weird. Uh, you know what's funny? I think out of all those movies, I only uh, have not seen Psycho 3. I have not seen Psycho 3. I have not seen Rambo. You've never seen Rambo, dude? I, I know, I know. And it's, so it's, it's called good. First Blood, though. It's not even called Rambo, so. Right. This might have been, actually, Rambo 2 is called Rambo. So this might be Rambo. Uh -oh. This might be the second one here. Have you seen that? I don't think so. Oh, Dave loses a point. And Psycho, oh, now I lose a point. Psycho 3, me and Dave actually once planned to watch all the Psycho movies, but we, we were a little worried about it ruining the first one, I think. But I'm, I'm still interested. They're all with interested. Anthony Perkins, though. Yeah, I know. Which is really interesting. I think he, like, directed one of them. Because I this love might his be wrong. performance. <laughs> yeah, I want to see it just for him, if anything. Um, I've never seen Top Gun. It's not good. Oh. <laughs> well, that's our new podcast, Top Talk. I'm going to stop doing that. That's our podcast jokes. It's just such an easy joke. Uh, I mean, we're bound to have some opinions that might annoy people, but it's, it's just life. That's life. But again, just don't take it too serious. This is purely for our enjoyment. Yeah. I'm actually having a lot of fun doing these so far. So I hope to keep up the, oh, good. Uh, the enjoyment. You know, I don't, I personally don't care if Dave's having fun doing them because I'm going to force him to do it uh, no matter what. And it's uh, well now we're locked in, so yeah, <laughs> I don't really have a choice anymore. So I love some of the signs on the back. Now I'm really seeing it clear because I'm holding the vinyl. Almost yours, Rental World. <laughs> That's funny. Um, hot Dog Colony, <laughs> Cla classic. I knew Dave would like that one. Oh, that is really funny. Sports Hole. <laughs> it's really funny. <laughs> um, you know, byproducts, no frills, total burger. Uh, you know. It, it's it it does feel like their humor in a way, you know. I'm sure they approved, you know. They they probably thought it was funny. So yeah, I I love the first album. I can't believe we talked about the whole thing because it felt like it took forever, but in a good way. So we have the the group of fours, I think, and then two kind of one offs, which are again kind of genre songs, which is Alienation, Thriller, Rich, and The Day. So Dave's theory is tracks one through four are the singles. Tracks five through eight are the weirdos tracks nine through 12 are the singles. This does hold up at, yeah. up to this point. Then tracks 13 through 16 are the weirdos. I'd say hope that I get old is almost a single though. I agree, but I also think it ushers in the kind of two one-offs sure. that come after it and then closing with a single. Okay. So if you were to like draw this as a visual thing, you'd see like sort of a square with if it, a, if this was a building, it would kind of get, it would look like a house. It would look like a house. <laughs> It'd be a little, be, a square of fours and then no, it totally holds up. Two walls of a roof and then the, at the point at the top is the rhythm section wanted. That's right. Um, so I think I guess that'll be. Don't write any letters. 
All right, everyone. This has been Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. Remember, you can email us at don'tletstartpodcast at gmail.com. Maybe we'll read your emails on the next episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And remember, laugh hard. It's a long way to the bank. <laughs> Please, ladies and gentlemen, join us in song. Oh.